for the Athletic Podcast Network. This is the update. I'm Adam Copeland. On today's show, we'll talk to Marty Lurie, the pre- and post-game host of Giants Baseball and KNBR 104.5 and 680 about, you guessed it, Major League Baseball's lockout. We won't spend tons of time talking about the CBA, but how it's going to affect the landscape of baseball, which rules could change out of this lockout, and how well the Giants have done in free agency before they had to stop signing players. All things we can discuss with Marty Lurie, who joins me next. Today is Monday, December 6th. It's always fun to welcome back one of my favorite people, not just baseball people, but favorite people in general. Love to call him a friend. Love to talk baseball with him. Marty Lurie. Uh, Marty, what's going on, man? We usually talk all baseball season long, and then the uh, the season ends. We hit the cold winter, and we wait for spring, but you and I can still talk some ball. So how are you, man? What's going on? No, I'm doing great. Uh, you're right. We just, we just wait for spring, and uh, hopefully everything will settle in and we'll get ready for the season. But it's nice down here in Arizona. I went to a fall league game and actually saw Hunter Bishop play. Oh, nice. I was uh, very impressed with the the movement, and uh, they worry about his arm. I saw him make a couple of really nice throws from right field, and Will Wilson was playing as well, so I got to see a couple of the giant prospects. But it's baseball 24-7, you know that, with all the trades and now with the labor agreements and everything else. It's always in the news. And I've wondered this about fall baseball, uh, the fall ball league, the Arizona fall league, and you get a mesh of different players from different organizations all on one team, which is always kind of cool. One of my favorite things at Scottsdale Stadium, and you know this well, is to look at the Scorpions Hall of Fame, the Scottsdale Mm -hmm. Scorpions Hall of Fame. Some of the greatest players who have ever played have come through the Arizona fall league. Absolutely. In fact, I remember the outfield. That was uh, Bryce Harper and I think Trout and uh, Gary Brown. (laughs) That was the outfield. Uh, I remember seeing that and seeing Harper play and seeing him throw the ball all over the place. Joe Panic, seeing him down there with Crawford uh, working uh, together. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun uh, seeing it. And the games are interesting. You know, they use the new rules where you you couldn't shift. They had the uh, computerized umpire. They had the pitch clock, and the game moved along. It really did. I can't tell you why. There weren't a lot of walks, but the game had a little bit of a hustle to it, much more than I remember, you know, of course, the games that we had last year that were three hours and 20 minutes or something like that. Yeah. So the automated strike zone that they're using, then that's where the computer reads what it is. There's still an umpire behind home plate, but it buzzes in their pocket or something, right? It tells them what the call is. Exactly. And you notice nothing whatsoever. Nothing. The call comes, and uh, if there wasn't an automatic ump, I could never tell you. That's how good this is. Now, is it accurate enough? That's the story. And, uh, you know, this is one of the arguments uh, in the labor issue here is whether the players want it because it does change the catching position where catchers Mm. could make more money by framing and being great catchers where if you get the automatic strike zone, it takes that away from the catcher. So that's on the table for the players as well. It's not quite as simple as it sounds. I don't think Wilmer Flores cares about the automatic strike zone. I think he just wants an automatic check swing first base umpire. I think that's what he's looking for, right? Well, he comes, <laughs> uh, he falls out of bed swinging the bat, <laughs> and no matter where it is. And, you know, he's a good hitter. Wilmer Flores is a, he can hit. Yeah. Thank you so yeah, much. Nice. He can hit. Uh, there's no question. I think they had the right man up at the right time. It's just that they got a bad call to end it. But uh, he'll be back. Solano is another question whether he'll be back or not. But Wilma Flores, he swings the bat. And in today's world, 
of uh, hitters getting the pitch that they can handle. When he gets one in his zone, he knocks it out. He's, he's a very good player. He's pretty darn good at the pitch on the inside part of the plate, too. Which very is why much. The, he yeah, held off that outside it. pitch, yeah. You put it up and in on him. If you don't get it past him, he's going to turn on it. That's a great point. And hit it out. That is something good. And, you know, we joke about it. You and I have been on for a number of years together. It's just finding a position for him, you know, where you could play him, where you don't get hurt. And first base seems like the, the least likely spot where bad things can happen to him. But then with belt around, you really don't ever want a platoon belt. Yeah, it's tough to pull him out of the lineup, and we saw what happened. I mean, it, it's tough to argue that uh, that the Giants weren't at full strength without Belt against the Dodgers because the Dodgers didn't have Muncie either. And actually, some news last week that Max Muncie is not healing as quickly as he would like, and uh, the Dodgers could be in a difficult spot with that position, even though they're they're one of the deepest teams in all of baseball, regardless of the free agents and Corey Seager that they've lost this offseason. Let, let's hit on that a little bit, uh, you sure. know, before we get into any of the the. You know, it's not fun to talk about the uh, the collective bargaining stuff, but we can just hit on that and the impact of baseball. But about the free agent market, were you surprised? I was actually very surprised at not just the number of contracts that were handed out before we reached the lockout, but the number of large contracts, over $300 million handed out to Corey Seager, $175 million handed out to Marcus Semien, 43 a year for Max Scherzer. These are contracts we've seen before in baseball, but they're becoming more and more top-heavy, it feels like, for the top two or three guys on a roster. What was your reaction to some of these contracts handed out? Well, I think it's explainable. Let's start with Scherzer. Yeah. Uh, it's New York. It's the back pages of, of the New York Daily News, the Post, uh, and Newsday, and things like that. It's an owner who's maybe the richest owner in baseball now, uh, Stephen Cohn. It's a team that needed star power. They couldn't hire a general manager. They, couldn't, they don't have a manager yet. But he can open his checkbook, and he just blew Scherzer away with the amount of money he was giving him. Look, Scherzer had the dead arm against the Giants, and uh, he, he was on fumes, really. I thought the last uh, maybe month and a half of the season, four or five good innings, then he was in trouble. So for the Mets, uh, the only explanation is that it's star power, it's New York, and you have to do that to survive. So it wasn't a shock to me. Uh, it's funny because Scherzer kept saying, well, I want to be on the West Coast, the West Coast. And as soon as they took the money out, says, you know, I like the East Coast. <laughs> you know, I live near Jupiter, Florida, and that's very close to the Mets spring training in Port St. Lucie. So the money talked. Now, the other two are interesting as well, but I think there's an explanation. Texas has a lot of money off the books. They have a new stadium and they have to start putting some money into the franchise. Francisco Lindor last year set the market for these shortstops. So it was easy to sign Seager vis-a-vis Lindor. Uh, it was easy to sign Baez because of the contract that Lindor got. And it was easy to sign Simeon. Now, if they had not had the Lindor guidance, then it would have been a question as to who was going to set the market, and it may have taken some more time. So once we knew what the market value was for that kind of player, it wasn't surprising to me that teams that were going to spend some money got out and spent it right away because there was no bargaining. There was no mystery right. at that point. And after the year Lindor had, he's probably feeling pretty good about signing that contract last season. Cause, Come on, he was awful. Yeah, yeah, he was not nearly Plus as good he, as... Plus, you know, with Baez, they went against the fans. You know, they, divide, they divided the mm-hmm. team and the fans. 
you know, with uh, their hand signals and all that. So they didn't get it. They don't get New York. You can't do that in New York. I'm yeah. sorry. But he got his $325 million, 330 whatever it was, and he set the market and made it easier for everybody else to sign. So focusing it back here on the Giants, I mean, I never felt like the Giants were in on Max Scherzer. I never felt like they were in on, on a player no. like that. It felt to me like the reason they were in on him at the, the trade deadline is because, and this is a good thing to look at, what the Dodgers have done over the last number of years during their run in going to the World Series and winning the eight straight division titles before it ended this year is that they would build their team from within, and then at the trade deadline, it seemed like every single season, whether it was Manny Machado or Hugh Darvish or this past year, Max Scherzer, they went out and got the best player they could get available at the deadline to try to help them win a championship. And it seemed like the Giants followed the exact same model this year. It wasn't about signing a big-name free agent. It was about trading some equity that you had within the system to bring back one of those big players. So I don't feel surprised that the Giants didn't go after one of these big guys. Alex Cobb feels like the type of player Farhan Zaidi wants to sign. Well, exactly, because you know he's had success in the past as a major league pitcher. He had a wrist injury. He did come back in September and threw a decent game for the Angels. But this is a guy in Tampa Bay. He was a good pitcher, but he's been hurt. But the computer loves him. Uh, his ground ball rate, his strikeout rate, his fly ball rate, and all the things that, that spin the computer upside down, he does very well at. So it's not shocking to me that uh, they went after him and they probably feel comfortable enough with him. They did give him a little bit longer contract. It's not one year. So they probably feel comfortable that if he pitches the way they think he's capable of pitching, that he would be a good investment for the Giants. He's the only one they really went out after, I think. They brought back these Sclafani. They brought back Wood. They know them. They didn't have to vet them. In other words, if you, if you only had Logan Webb coming back with four new starting pitchers, you'd have to teach the four of them the Giants' way. Well, you don't have to do that with these Sclafani and Wood. They know how to pitch in Oracle. They know how the Giants prepare for a game. And I think it was explainable as well that they went out and got someone back that they knew who the pitcher was. Now, they didn't spend a ton of money. And they have so much open room on the books that if for some reason, we hope not, but these Sclafani or Wood somehow fizzle out or got hurt, they can eat the money. It's not impossible because they have so much play on their salaries and they have so much play on the total amount of money that the Giants are spending on players that they can eat the money. So the amount of money they gave these Sclafani and Wood, I think, was very smart on their part. The big one, I thought, was maybe Stroman. I thought he would fit. I thought Stephen Matz could fit. But uh, Farhan is going to wait for the market to settle in and see what happens. And that's the way he does it. And look, they went out and got Chris Bryant. That's the one guy they needed. They needed a hitter. Didn't quite a hit as much as we thought. But they won 107 games. And what can you say about that? Nothing. Uh, they broke a franchise record. So whatever they're doing, they're doing it correctly in baseball today. And that's the most important thing. And Farhan has figured that out. Uh, it's not the players. Uh, players aren't thrilled about it because he doesn't go out and spend a ton of money. But he does understand how to find players who can win for him and do the things that the computer says they should do, not chase, hit fly balls, go first to third, whatever it takes, these guys can do it.
Something we should note, too, that during the lockout, uh, you're not allowed to make trades. And I guess GMs can still negotiate with each other. They just can't officially announce or or uh, solidify a trade or, or come out with it until the lockout is over. They can't be speaking to players who are a part of the union or on the 40-man roster, which I sort of laughed at. I thought, boy, Farhan can still go out and try to sign some minor league free agents, guys yeah, who aren't. Out. Yeah, that's he, he's chomping at the bit. He's probably yeah. he's probably saying this is, this is the most I could ask for. The best I could ask for yeah, is to go sign. probably everybody else yeah. is afraid to do it. He's, he, it's, it's, it's his lunch, right? Right now. Yeah, you can't wait to go do that. So uh, some thoughts on, on what's happening with the collective bargaining agreement. It's not the most fun thing to discuss. Just what's your read as, as a fan and as somebody who's a baseball historian, someone who's seen so many of these stoppages? Again, I, I was I was five years old, I guess, the last time they had this type of work stoppage, the strike in 1994. I don't really remember it. I remember in 98 when the, the home run chase was happening with McGuire and Sosa, and my dad kept saying to me, I hope this brings people back to baseball. And as like an eight-year-old or nine-year-old, I didn't really know what that meant. Nobody was gone from baseball. The game was being played right in front of me. I guess the best case scenario for this is that it's happened in December and not in like June or July or August where we actually have a strike and a work stoppage to halt the season. What's your read on on what's going on with these two sides? And and what do you think the – I mean, it's tough to predict an endpoint for it, but how do you think this plays out into 2022? Well, you have to go back, and, and uh, this is a good lesson in uh, economics in America. And it goes back to the late uh, 1890s uh, when we had all the monopolies and we had uh, things like that and when labor unions were first formed. It's, it's the old story. The owners don't want to pay the workers, and it's that simple, and that's why we have unions today. And that's why uh, unions got a tremendous foothold in this country in the 40s and the 50s. And certainly baseball uh, became unionized uh, with some power in the mid-60s. So at the heart of what's going on is money. It's not about the fans. And I said this before, when Rob Manfred gets on TV, uh, I just want to almost turn it off. Because he gets on TV under the guise of being this arbiter, this baseball commissioner whatever that means. And what it really is, he is a spokesperson for the owners. He's the chief negotiator, really, for the owners. And for him to get on TV and make believe that, uh, well, we've made these offers to the players and it sounds reasonable and we have this way to do it and all that. No, I'm sorry. They're giving too much time to him and he is not a commissioner of all of baseball, he, he is a spokesperson, he's a CEO for the owners. And that's the way it is. So that's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with owners versus workers. And it's as simple as that. It's a question of money. They don't even want to talk about the way the game is being played. That's off the table, which is probably more important mm -hmm. than deciding whether a two-plus guy gets arbitration. So it comes down to power and money. And it's a story of American labor that's been going on for 130 years. And that's what we've got. So we'll see how it plays out. Uh, it's still a question of money and how that money is going to be distributed either amongst the players or amongst the other owners. The players, of course, want the owners to spend money. Uh, if they have more teams in the playoff, maybe that would help the players and maybe uh, teams would, would spend more money. So those are the kinds of issues that we're dealing with. But they're not talking about pace of play or a DH right now or uh, automatic umpires or the shifts and all the things that would the fans are interested in. Because uh, one last thought before we go on, 
when Manfred gets up there and says, we were doing this for the fans, the fans, the fans. No, they're not. I don't want to say they could care less about the fans, but their idea is money. It's not about the fans here. And when they say that fan thing, it's disingenuous to me. I side with you on that, too. You'd like to believe as a fan that the commissioner is a, no, uh, a neutral party in this, but he was He's hired not. by the owners. <laughs> He's a spokesperson for the owners. Faye Vincent tried to do it as commissioner, and they fired him. And you know who took his place? Bud Selig. And they, at that point, they said, we'll never, ever turn any power over to anyone other than one of our guys. And Manfred has been their labor negotiator for years. You know, this isn't 1920 with Judge Landis. Yeah. You know, to get the job, he said, look, whatever I say goes, and I, I'm the ruler of baseball. And they were so scared of him because of the Black Sox scandal in 1919 that they turned over everything to him. But ever since then, Happy Chandler, Ford Frick, Bowie Kuhn, the Unknown Soldier, Spike Eckert, Peter Uberoff, wherever they went, those people, maybe Giamatti was a little independent, but everybody else works at the behest of the owners. And now the commissioner really is an owner. Yeah, the late Bar Giamatti is the guy who I think a lot of people look at as the, the neutral party in that group of commissioners. He could have been, sure. Yeah. And Faye Vincent tried. Yeah. He tried, but uh, they, they, he took a side and they said, we don't like that, you're fired. <laughs> well, from a, from a fan perspective, Marty, here, uh, your thought here, because really the fans cared not about the dollar amounts and, and like you said, the two-plus player getting arbitration, the 26-and-a-half-year-old, all that stuff is for the owners and for the players to figure out. Fans want to know, how is this going to affect my game if you could pick one of the rules or two of the rules, whichever rules you think could come into play that will change the game of baseball for the foreseeable future, whether it's expanded postseason, whether it's the the fabled double hook rule they've talked about, universal DH, what are you anticipating? Maybe what are you hoping for as a change that comes out of this? Well, I like the expanded playoffs. I think the more teams in the race, uh, the better it is, even though it's 162. And if you put in 14 teams out of the 30, it takes away from – from the race, but I still say you're going to have that race down the stretch. And I think that's a great part of baseball. So I have no problem with expanded playoffs. The other thing is the shift. I really think that the shift has changed the game to such a degree that it needs to be altered. And uh, you like to see it go back to using the whole field and players get paid for home runs and driving in runs and doubles. They don't get paid for singles to left field. And unfortunately, that's what it would take on the players' part to change it, but they won't do it. So I think baseball's got to do it, and I think it'll enhance the game we see to take away the home run walk strikeout and get a little more action into the game. So those two things for me. Let me throw one at you here that uh, our mutual friend Ino Saros actually said to me on this podcast uh-huh. a, a couple of weeks ago. We were talking about the, the CBA coming up, and we were talking, you know, starting pitching. Logan Webb, the only pitcher in the postseason to go seven or more innings twice, and he did it in, in one series. He was throwing out, Eno was, the idea that you could limit the number of pitchers that a team has to use in one game. So say a, a team can only use five pitchers. Would that promote the starting pitcher? And then say it goes extras, then you unlock another pitcher when you get to the 10th or unlock another one when you get to the 12th, something like that. Think that would help the starting pitching in baseball? Well, I think so. I mean, it would, it would force you to keep them in longer. It's yeah. like having the DH. When you have the DH, the starting pitcher stays in longer because you don't have to hit for him. So it's kind of a crazy rule because, see, anything that ties the manager's hands – the three batter rule. Anything that ties the manager's hands, 
I think is a problem for the game because you want to be able to use the manager in the most strategic ways you can. And if you put in five pitchers, well, then you'd have to say, gee, this guy's getting whacked around, but I can't take him out because then I'll only have two pitchers left and I'm, <laughs> I'm in the fifth inning. Yeah. You know, I don't think you can do that. So I love Eno, but uh, on that one, Eno, I think uh, – We'll take a pass. You know, it's kind of a screwball himself, right? So yeah, he's uh, terrific. Yeah, he's great. Look, he's great. These pitchers, he knows his pitching. These pitchers are not are not trained now to go deep into a game. And when we got to the postseason, look what happened to Urias and Scherzer and mm-hmm. Bueller and even Charlie Morton, who you know got the broken leg. I mean, he was on fumes at the end. Uh, look at the Astro pitching staff. Max Fried really had one of the better games, and he's a young pitcher, and it took him to the last game to do that. Logan Webb was strong, but everybody else really was was struggling in October, and these pitchers are not ready to to be the one guy who carries you through October. They're they're just not trained like that through the season, and it's really different. So the postseason's different. Uh, You need to get your 27 outs. This is the change in the game. They don't talk about the pitcher going seven innings. They say, how are we going to get 21 outs? We need 21 outs, and then all we need are six more outs. And if we use three people to get six outs, we can win the game. Marketing, I think, in San Francisco is difficult when you don't have recognizable stars. And what you're marketing is, hey, we can win 107 games. Come on out and see us, even if you don't necessarily like the way that game is played. And that's what the Giants do. It's it's not Mays, McCovey, and Will Clark, and Lincecum, Kane, and Posey anymore. It's uh, Lamont Wade and uh, Sam, um, Stremsky, and, Stremsky yeah. and Flores and Ruff and, you know, people like that and Slater and uh, Casale. And if they all walked into a room, you wouldn't know who anyone was. And uh, that's the Giants' way. But they win. They win 107. So each year you've got to get geared up again for – getting into that season without knowing exactly what's going to happen because you don't have the guys with the track record. Marty, we could go for hours, and we have. I mean, we have in the past <laughs> yeah. numerous times, but uh, we got to cut it off there, man. It's always fun catching up and talking baseball, and we'll have to do it again. Uh, uh, we were joking before we got going here that maybe they'd start playing on Flag Day. So between now and June 14th, we'll right. have another hit with each other. huh? Absolutely. The one thing I will mention to you, and that's the Dodgers, and uh, you hit the nail on the head. The Dodgers are in a little bit of transition now, age-wise, injury-wise, and pitching-wise. With Kershaw, obviously, we don't know what's going to happen with him. But the one thing I'll leave you with, and that is Freddie Freeman. Boy, the Freddie Freeman rumors are very strong to L.A. And uh, you brought it up about Muncie being injured, uh, not healing right away. Seager is gone. Freddie Freeman has not been signed yet by Atlanta. Why not? Why not? If he could just think about it. Won't happen now because of the lockout, but Freddie Freeman to the Dodgers. That would be one that would that would turn everything upside down. Marty leaving us with a great taste in our mouths, huh? <laughs> Sending us out thinking about Freddie Freeman in the yeah. blue and white, man. It's a possibility. They're in on almost everybody every single year, well, man. Well, you so. know they're going to do something. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And the Padres as well. So it's fun. I mean, look, with, I don't even think about the lockout. It's labor. It's owners versus workers. And uh, they're going to push this until, until the 11th hour, until they start losing money. Until they lose money, hey, why change your position? You know, well, we'll just wait it out. But once they start getting close to losing money, then they'll see some movement. It's inevitable.
once the bottom line gets touched, then everybody uh, everybody that's goes it. hands in the right. air. That's it. That's so we've got we've probably got a couple of months here of just uh, talking about things like we just talked about. Well, we'll do it again, Marty. I always appreciate I catching it. up, man. And I uh, love it. Happy and, holidays. Hey, Steve. happy holidays, happy Hanukkah. Enjoy the off season, uh, Marty, and we'll talk to you soon. All right, Adam. Take care. Oh, boy, nice, long, wide-ranging conversation with Marty Lurie. You can hear him before and after weekend Giants games on KMBR 104.5 and 680, one of the great baseball minds and voices in the country, and one of my favorite people to talk to and one of my good friends. Appreciate Marty for stopping by. Appreciate you for listening. So thank you to Marty. Thank you to Brian, my producer. Thank you to you, the listener. If you're enjoying the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe to us wherever it is you're listening. We'll keep bringing you all the important stories in Bay Area and oftentimes in national sports. Later this week, we'll get back into some 49er football. We've also got to focus on the Golden State Warriors, one of the best teams in all of sports right now. The 49ers are in a playoff hunt. That's all coming up in the days and weeks ahead. Until Wednesday, enjoy the week. We'll talk to you then.